you don't believe it either. Okay, great. Um, that's, that's it. I began a series a couple of weeks ago on the subject of God at work and the impetus of this series is talking about the Holy Spirit. I made statements then that I think are important statements. When it comes to talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, there is a lot of information and misinformation that is out there in the Christian church. There are, in my, in my belief, there are some beliefs concerning the Holy Spirit that are bad theology and perhaps even bad practice. I really believe that the Holy Spirit, when you think about that, is, is kind of getting a bad rap in some areas. I mean, some people think when they hear about the work of the Holy Spirit or the moving of the Holy Spirit, uh, the first thing that comes to their mind is someone doing a chicken dance. And in, in, my, in my life, I've seen all kinds of things that were blamed on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> well, God made me run my head through a wall. And when I think about that and compare it to what the Apostle Paul talked about, talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, he said, let all things be done decently and in order. I really don't believe that the Holy Spirit is in the business of creating confusion in the minds and the lives of people. Matter of fact, to be honest with you, when, when the Holy Spirit truly moves, I don't believe that He moves in such a way as to draw unusual attention to someone. I mean, pretty much this, if all you see is an individual in whatever they're doing and you don't see God at work in it, then it's probably not the Holy Spirit. It may be an outburst of their own personal emotions or, or something, but I think that we can't blame tantrums on the Holy Spirit. I told a story of a young lady that I pastored years ago that when she would feel, when she would feel what she thought or what she said was the Holy Spirit on her, she would stick both arms out, she would ball up both fists, and she would scream to the top of her lungs and start turning in a circle as fast as she could in a crowd of people. And if you, if you didn't get out of her way, you were going to get, you're going to get hit in the face. And, 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 and that was blamed on the Holy Spirit. So I really intend in this particular series, a, a Holy Spirit series, I really, I really intend on talking about God at work through the Holy Spirit in such a way as to dispel some of those myths, but, but even more than that, to let's talk about what really is the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit really do? Because it's important. There's a lot of people in the Christian church that... They're very comfortable talking about God the Father. They're very comfortable talking about God the Son. But, but they don't want anything to do. They don't want anything to do with that 
Holy Spirit. And I think that that is a travesty. Matter of fact, I think that people lose tremendous benefit when they, when they, when they hide from or shirk away from or, or try to dispel the work of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. And so we need to find out about him. And, and I think it's very interesting, and we look at Acts chapter 19, remember that, that the 19th chapter of the book of Acts is some 20 to 22 years past that first chapter and the second chapter where you see the Holy Spirit come to the church, you see the Holy Spirit baptize them, you see all this tremendous work of the Holy Spirit. And now some 20 to 22 years later, we find this in Acts 19.1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And so he found some Christian believers. He found some people that were Christ followers and they were saved. They were disciples. But yet it's very interesting what it says next. And ask them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And this is astounding to me. They answered, no We have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. I mean, can you imagine that? That here are these people, a part of the church. Here are these people that that, uh, were saved and discipled. And yet, 20 years past that day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit was poured out, they hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is still true in a lot of context today because people are afraid of it or certain denominations have have written it off and said we're just going to leave that Holy Spirit stuff over there for those, those crazy Pentecostals. And they stand with these very disciples and they say we haven't even heard about the Holy Spirit. So I want us to hear about the Holy Spirit, but I I think it's important for us to hear about the Holy Spirit in a biblical context. I mean, our theology on the Holy Spirit has to be a theology that is based in a biblical context, while at the same time removing the fear of extreme ideas and extreme practices. So there are two questions that we must answer. The first question is, who is the Holy Spirit? And I'm just going to wrap that up into that one, that one uh, sentence, God at work, that the Holy Spirit is God at work. And then the second question is, what does the Holy Spirit do? Now, in the first, in the first uh, sermon uh, of the series, we talked about that the Holy Spirit, the first mention of the Holy Spirit is in Genesis chapter 1, the very beginning of your Bible, where it says the Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and from that hovering, the Bible says that, that God said, let there be, and all of creation was, was created by this hovering of the Spirit, and, and, and that's, that's a big thing that the Holy Spirit does, that the Holy Spirit hovers and creates and even brings life. I think the reality of the Holy Spirit in, in, in our lives is something that I believe in wholeheartedly, is that the Holy Spirit taken out of Christianity, the Holy Spirit taken out of a, the religious context uh, is, is a religion without life. 
that the Holy Spirit brings life and he creates. It's very powerful. Pastor Trent last week talked about that one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is bring unity. That it brings unity to the body of Christ. That, that because of the Holy Spirit, diverse people with diverse ideas can come together and play in God's fantastic orchestra. And, and, and there is harmony, beauty, the work of the Holy Spirit. God at work by the Holy Spirit Brings power in Acts chapter 1-8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The Holy Spirit is God at work bringing supernatural power into our lives. Then we have to ask the question then, what does that power do? And, and what, I really, what I really want to talk about the next couple of weeks today and next week is... Is, is two primary ways in which the power of the Holy Spirit demonstrates in people's lives. That first way is by the fruit of the Spirit. And the second is by the gifts of the Spirit. Now, these are both extremely broad uh, subjects. matter of fact, you could spend an entire series just talking about the fruit of the Spirit. And you could spend an entire series just talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And, and, and I don't have that kind of time, and, and I, don't, I don't feel like uh, that is the plan that the, that the Lord wants us to do in this series. But I will say this, that today, as we examine the fruit of the Spirit, we've got to recognize some things that the fruit does in our lives. See, the essence of this is whether or not your actions and your attitudes are being controlled by your flesh and its desires or are they being led by, is your actions and is your attitudes being led by the nature of Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit in your life? So, I mean, we ask how is this possible in our flesh and, and this, is a, this is a primary place where this idea of legalism rises up to say that, well, you just have to white-knuckle it and get the job done. You know, I mean, I, mean I, I was raised in a religious context that really took literal, the commercial, just do it. You know, just do it. Straighten up. Straighten yourself up. And I mean, I think everyone at some point realizes that's absolutely impossible. I mean, I mean how can you live for God without God? I mean, how can you do the things that God is, is calling you to do without His power performing that in your life? You can't. So then we must rely on what the Holy Spirit does. This hovering, this creating Holy Spirit. We've got we've to rely on what He does and what He is doing in us. Galatians 5, we're going to go there as our key verse for the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. So he's like, okay, here's a list, and then just kind of go, and on, and on, and on, etc., etc. These are the acts 
of the flesh. These are the things that this flesh will do. And then he says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, I was raised in a context that said, well, you do those things, you don't inherit the kingdom of God, you're going to hell. And and there's a salvation ribbon tied to those particular verses. And, and, you know, if you live like this, then, you know, you're just lost. But I think if we really look at the context of what is being written here, this isn't isn't as affecting on on heaven without the understanding that, that this also affects our temporal life. That the bottom line is, when you live like this, when you do these things, when your flesh does these things, That you begin to forfeit the benefits of the kingdom of God in your present life. Let's just take one for instance and, and we'll move on from that. Let's just say for instance that you, you eat up with jealousy. Alright? You eat up with jealousy. You're just jealous of somebody. Or you're jealous of their possessions. Or you're jealous of their position. And your whole life is eat up with this jealousy. How many of you will recognize me that somebody that is truly jealous isn't very happy? And so you look later at the fruit of the Spirit and there's this fruit of joy. See, you can't be jealous and bear the fruit of joy at the same time. Jealousy has a way of completely canceling out any joy that might be working in your life. And so you don't inherit the kingdom of God, and a part of the kingdom of God is joy. You don't inherit that joy because you're so jealous over someone or something in your life. Let's take another one, for instance. Fits of rage. How many of you understand that somebody that's eat up with a temper isn't very peaceful? Am I the only one in the room that will recognize that? I'm talking about if you got a temper and you're, and you're subject to constantly having fits of rage, your life is never peaceful. I mean, it's always a fight. And so you discount or you disqualify the peace of God that is a part of the kingdom of God. You disqualify that peace because your flesh is rampaging in rage. And, and, and so you don't inherit the kingdom's peace. Because you can't inherit the kingdom's peace if you are given to fits of rage. They just don't go together. Now, the flip side of that coin, we continue reading. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It's really something to me that for every act of the flesh, okay, that was listed just in the previous verses, in every act of the flesh, there's a fruit of the Spirit that if you will bear this fruit, it will cancel out that in the other direction. For instance, if you truly have love, then you don't get jealous. Therefore, the fruit of the Spirit becomes the antidote 
for the act of the flesh. That if you have peace, come on somebody, then you, you're probably not going to have a fit of rage. You know? If you have true joy in your life, you're, you're not going to envy. You know? I mean, you know some of the happiest people I've ever seen on the face of the planet are, are Filipino people who have absolutely nothing. You know what I'm saying? But they don't want any more. They really, they, they're just content. They're happy with, with what they have. And, 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 and they, don't, they don't suffer from consumerism and commercialism the way we do. And they're thankful for what they have. And you know what? It's really something because we've, I've been there enough that, you know, someone walk in with a new pair of tennis shoes on and everybody just gets all excited about the person getting, oh, you got new tennis shoes, woo! And they're just all happy. No one's going, well, I don't have no new tennis shoes. No one, they don't do that. They don't do it. They just rejoice. Somebody drives up and they, they, they get a, a new motorcycle. Oh, everybody just rejoices, woo, yeah! And they celebrate, they celebrate each other's successes because, because they just, they're not eat up with, with envy and jealousy. They just, not the ones I've been around. Therefore, they, they, bear, this, they bear these fruits. And, and, and I'm, I'm, really, I'm, I'm really caught by, again, the, the last words of that verse. If you'll throw up that uh, 23rd verse again. The, the last words of, of that verse says, And against such things there is no law. Now you look at, you look at the acts of the flesh. And you think about that list for a minute. There's, a, there's pretty much a law against about every one of those things. Matter of fact, every one of them has a law against it. Whether it be a, whether it be a covenant law, like in a marriage between, between two people, a relational law. Or whether it be a civil law. I mean, you look at the acts of, of, of the flesh and, and it's amazing to me that Man, when the flesh has its, its way, you've got to pass laws to try to tame people down. I mean, if you're going to have a fit of rage in a public place, you're probably going to get disorderly conduct and probably get arrested. Because there's a law against that. But then he lists this fruits of the Spirit, and he says, and against these things there is no law, because you don't have to have a law against you when you are bearing that fruit. You don't have a law. There's no, there's, there's, no, there's no reason to have a law, you know. If we, if, 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 yeah, praise the Lord, hallelujah, if we could all drive um, at a reasonable pace, there'd be no speed limits. You know, they don't pass speed limits for people who can control themselves. Speed limits are passed for people who can't control themselves. And some of you keep getting tickets because, bless God, hallelujah, you need to bear a fruit. You need to bear fruit. There needs to be there, you have fruit of self-control. You know what I'm saying? Because if you can control thyself, in my best king's English, if you can control thyself, then you don't, you don't, you don't even need a speed limit. Well, I just got all up in your grill. Yeah. 
So think about that for a second. You know, that all of these laws are passed for people who don't have true love or, or don't have peace or don't have joy or don't have faithfulness or don't have gentleness or don't have kindness or don't have self-control. But he said, man, if you bear this fruit, you don't even need law. You don't even need it. I mean, I'm trying to, I'm trying to bear the, the fruit of peace in my life to counteract any fit of rage that I might have when it comes to being behind really slow bicyclists and jinx. And, and so I'm bearing a fruit in my life. I aired up the tires on our bicycles, and I'm just going to join a bike club. I'm just going to demonstrate, and then everybody's going to be honking at me. We need fruit, good fruit. Everyone bears fruit. We need good fruit. And the thing about this fruit is that, is that listen, this fruit doesn't come by means of your own works. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in you. That The Holy Spirit is, is moving in your life in such a way that it is creating this fruit and you're growing God's fruit. And when it is the fruit of the Spirit, it's not hard. See, it's hard to have peace on your own. But when you're bearing the fruit of peace from God, it becomes that kind of peace that the Bible says is without understanding. Like, I I don't even understand why I have peace. I should be going nuts right now. But I have peace because there's a fruit in my life that doesn't come from me. See, the fruit of the Spirit is God at work on the inside that reflects His goodness on the outside through our attitudes and actions. Without the fruit of the Spirit, we live with our lives ravaged by the whims of the flesh and we forfeit the benefits found in the kingdom of God. My thought for this message was to do something a little different every time I believe I have ever preached on the fruit of the Spirit or taught on the fruit of the Spirit, I taught about them all and you go through one after the next after the next, you explain each one and, and that's good because we need them all. You know, somebody, I heard someone preach one time, don't ever pray for the fruit of patience because if God gives you the fruit of patience, you'll end up putting up with stuff you should whack. And I'm like, you know what, if patience is a fruit... Of the Spirit, I'm really thinking we should pray for it. I mean, you might just discover a a little more peaceful life if you had a little slow down from the fruit of patience. But I'm not going to go through all of the fruit today. I'm just going to end this message by, by just doing the bookends. The bookends. See, I believe that The Bible is true when it states that the men who wrote the Scripture were moved on by the Holy Spirit. That that the Holy Spirit is really the book of God written by God. The Bible. That the Bible is the book of God written by God. And I do not believe it's a coincidence that the fruit of the Spirit is bookended with love and self-control. 
You know why? Because the reality of those two fruit, the power of those two fruit in our lives is such that if we truly get love and we truly bear self-control, all of that other fruit in the middle comes a whole lot easier. But if you don't get self-control, you're probably not going to get peace. (laughs) And if you don't get love, you're probably not going to get joy. And so I believe that in in God's divine providence, that that he bookended the list of the fruit of the Spirit with with love and with self-control. And so when we, when we look at the bookends, and, and, and this is really cool, the Greek word, the Greek word for, I told y'all it's going to be a theological series, so bear with me with the Greek. The Greek word for love here is the word agape. Everybody say agape. You've probably heard a lot of teaching on that. You're going to hear a little more today. See, in the Greek language, there are, there are at least seven words that translate into the English language love. But the three primary words that translate to the English word love is the, the Greek word eros. Okay? Eros is a seductive, sensual feeling of love. The, the, the word eros is where the English word erotic comes from. It's, it's the Greek equivalent and the root for that. And so there is eros, okay? And then there is phileo. Phileo is more of a feeling of mutual admiration. Uh, it's, it's a feeling of, of brotherly type of love. So, so when, when the Bible speaks of phileo, it's, it's talking in the context of brother the brother. That, that Like, for instance, maybe in the church that, that we are to... To uh, you know that we have these relationships and it's kind of a relational kind of love, but then but then there's this word agape and it's very interesting that throughout the Bi- throughout the New Testament uh, when when it's talking about God's love for God so loved the world when it's talking about God's love it, it always uses it doesn't use eros it doesn't use phileo it always uses the word agape. And the expanded context of agape. See, agape is not just the feeling of love. Agape, by context, is a commitment of love. Or maybe we can even take it a step further that agape is a decision of love. That when the Bible says God so agapeoed, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is literally saying that God made a decision to love you. That God decided this. That it wasn't this fleeting feeling of, Ooh, I'm in love. No, it was this decision where God chose to love. When you understand that expanded context, you recognize in your life that this is the highest degree of love that you could possibly have. That, that, that when you bear the fruit of love in your life, you're not bearing this little fleety feeling like you're stuck in a Disney cartoon. You're, 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 not, you know, you're, you're not in this fleeting sense of feeling love that you can get in or out. Or in or out. No, when the Bible says to us, that we should bear the fruit of love. It is speaking of the kind of love that makes you choose. I just choose to love. I mean, it's kind of like 
It's kind of like when a lady is carrying a child. And we congratulate Kevin and Lindsay Hill. They brought Roland to church today. At Second Church, we congratulate the Hill family. Brand new baby boy. Come on now. Listen, if you are relying only on feelings, it's very difficult to love a child you've never seen. Very difficult. If you're relying only on feelings, it's very difficult. Because the feeling kind of love needs to see something. There might even need to be some reciprocation. Like kiss back. Hug back. Love back. But when you're carrying that baby, I, I, you know, I, I've said this before, that, that when, when, when Raylene was carrying our two boys, man, we didn't know what hair color it would be. We didn't know what eye color. We didn't know even in the beginning if it was a boy or a girl. We didn't know. But I love that baby. I chose to love that child. It was an agape feeling deep down inside of the soul that says, that's my baby, and I love that baby, and I make a decision. I make a decision. It's the kind of love that can go to a cross and decide to stay there and die for the very people you are being crucified. John 13, 35 speaks of this kind of love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Yeah, the true mark of discipleship is not how well you pray or not which church you attend. The true mark of discipleship is not how good you act, although we're praying that the fruit will help you act a little good. The true mark of discipleship is not how long or short your hair is or what kind of clothes you wear or don't wear. The true mark of discipleship is not, it's not marked by any of those things that religion wants to tie us to. Jesus said the thing that's going to make everyone know you're my disciples is if you decide, if you choose to love each other even in your differences. Even even when there are disagreements. That you choose. That you choose. That the world is going to know you're my disciples when you stick together in love. Even if things don't go your way. See, that's God's kind of love. It's this decision. It's bearing this kind of decision. And listen, if we will bear that fruit in our life, there's a whole lot of stuff that that would wash out in that kind of rain of love. That I just choose to love you. I just choose to. I make a decision. Very important to bear that fruit. Because if we can choose to love, then we got a lot better chance of having peace, having joy, or fighting off envy, or fits of rage, or factions, division. Just choose to love. Just choose to.
but not by my own strength. See, I got to have, listen, I got to have the Holy Spirit do that because there's some people I just, I have a hard time loving. I ain't talking about any of y'all. Love one another. That's an action, not a feeling, right? It's not an emotion. It's a decision. As we mature in discipleship, we bear the fruit of decision based on the Holy Spirit motivating us in love. It's a powerful fruit. Now, now the other bookend, the other bookend is self-control, right? The Greek word here is enkrateia, enkrateia. Or, or, or in kratia, but I didn't want to say it like that. The Greek word in, in kratia. And no way for it. I'm going to, the, it's powerful definition. Powerful definition. Y'all ready? Powerful definition. Wait for it. The definition of in kratia is self control. It literally means control thyself. And how, how, how many things in our life would just be better if we could just control ourselves? Like, I mean, stop doing it. Or start doing it. I recognize even in our world, I mean, we live in information overload world, Right? And I, I get frustrated with social media. It's got some good stuff, but it's got some bad stuff too. And, 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 I, and I have recognized something about social media that I think is something that, that would show us in, in some areas of our lives. I could split my family. I'm talking about my, my extended family. I could my sisters and, and all, I, can, I could split my family in half responding to a Facebook post. I mean, if I wanted to do that, I could create a faction, even right now in my family, I could create a faction in my family just by responding to a Facebook post. And so I have to bear the fruit of self-control. How many people have been divided because of political posts? Boy, it just got real quiet. But what about, what about, you know, someone criticized me during the election. They said, you know, we never see you post your, your, your political view on Facebook. Why don't you take a stand? I'm like, because I pastor people on every stand. I pastor people on every stand. It wouldn't surprise me if I didn't even have a Green Party person in the room. You say, oh, wait a minute. I thought. I love the independents, and I pastor them. I love the Democrats, and I pastor them. I love the Republicans, I pastor them. See, and you say, well, pastor... Boy, it got real quiet on that one, didn't it? 
but I will tell you this. I'm not going to be the person that creates division in the church that I love. Oh, I have a, I have a view. My, my political view is it all has a tendency to work out. But I don't need to tell you who I voted for. But see, you could, you could, if you bear, oh boy, if you bear self-control in your life, things are a little better. Things are just a little better. And if we will bookend our lives with these two fruit, if our, if you're gonna, if you're gonna pray this week for a fruit, or for two fruit, why don't you start out by praying for? love and self-control because if you get those two the others in the middle have a tendency to start growing as well amen if you don't get those two that's a hard road to hoe and I don't like hoeing any road so stand with me today God bless you I want to pray for us Father I thank you for your word your presence and your spirit as it works in us as we learn about the work of God through the Holy Spirit that we would that we would be people who would bear the fruit of love I thank you for everything that you are doing and going to do and I declare your goodness in every one of our lives everybody said in Jesus name praise God there are three ways to give here at Triumph our church is so blessed to be able to continue